Well, we've got one more story for you to hear today, and then we're going to dig into a story of Scripture. And we're running short on time, so we're going to move quick when we get into Scripture. I've got a whole chapter that we're going to read together, and we're going to move fast. But in the traditional gateway fashion, I want you all to make some noise for Dan Sundberg as he comes up here and tells this story. Yeah, thanks for the no time. We're short on time. <laughs> uh, yeah, like you said, my name is Dan Sundberg. Sorry, I've been fighting this for a couple weeks. Um, I'm a teacher and coach at Blue Spring South uh, for the past 10 years, 11 years now, I guess. And um, I don't know, I was a little intimidated when uh, about a month ago, I guess, Scott Sterling uh, kind of put, put me out there on the radar and said, you know, I feel like your story's worth sharing. I was like, I do too, but not after following what, what's been up here the last month and a half. I mean, because uh, my story's different. Um, you know, I didn't meet God under a bridge at the end of the proverbial rope. Um, I, didn't, I didn't meet God while I was trying to change my family tree uh, growing up in some insane conditions like Wendell. And, and I, I didn't meet God, you know, after making millions and, and finding out that that's not fulfilling. Uh, that would have been cool, but I, I didn't. Um, you know, I, for me, this whole before and after thing, at least it feels like, has always been after. Uh, I grew up in a great Christian home. And the two people responsible for that are right there. I'll give it up for them, Gateweather. Uh, I don't give them enough credit, but, but from the time I was six years old, uh, the story of Christ just resonated with me. My earthly father made it very clear who my heavenly father was, and the story has just always made sense. Um, it's always just grabbed me and pulled me in. And, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression today as I stand up here and, and give my testimony of what he's been in my life. I'm far from him, from perfect. Uh, I'm a sinner like every person that stood up here before you. I'm a sinner just like you guys all the same, and I sin every day. Uh, but by the grace of God, um, I'm able to go and tell this amazing story of what he's done in my life. But, um, you know, and, and because my story lacked that I don't know. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this in church, but that sexiness, you know, that that comeback redemptive story, I was I was embarrassed of it for a long time. I mean, I sat in these chairs for for the better part of 30, 25, 30 years, and uh, just heard redemptive story after redemptive story. I'm like, man, that's freaking awesome! Look how powerful God was in their lives. And so, for the longest time, I didn't want to share it. A um, little shameless plug for life groups here, though. Joined a life group about 10 years ago, and Rob Essinger, one of my good buddies, was in that, and we were just kind of sprinkling a little bit of our testimony around the circle. And uh, if you're not a part of a life group, guys, I encourage you right now in the fall, we're going to be signing up for them. Um, and I know you've probably, if you've been here for a while, you've heard this time and time again. And if you haven't joined one, guys, one of my favorite lines from, from Scott Hatfield, you used to always say, you used to say, church doesn't happen in rows. Uh, it happens in circles when Christians get together and really dig into each other's lives. And so I just really want to encourage you when fall rolls around, no matter what age you are, find a group of people to get in and share life with because it's, it's completely changed my wife and I's spiritual walk. But um, So we're telling our testimonies. I was like, man, Rob, I don't really have one. I mean, I, I haven't been through anything. You know, I haven't as much as lost a family member. Like, I don't, you know, and so I kind of had this attitude of I'm this sheltered, middle-class, white boy from the suburbs. You know, that's how ignorant I was. I thought it was maybe something I did or that my parents did that's kept me from, from all the stuff that's out there that can happen to a person. And so that's kind of how I carried myself. And he got me thinking a little bit differently about it. Um, you know, it is a dark world full of pitfalls, especially for a not very intelligent teenage boy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff 
that I could have done that could have propelled me down a path that put me in some of those situations I was just talking about with some of these other people. And, and so my testimony has become that. You know, God is my, he's my provider. You know, I've lived in God's provision, and I've lived in God's protection my entire life. My life has been after. Um, uh, it's been full of Christ and, and full of his grace, giving me things I don't deserve and full of mercy, <laughs> not letting things happen to me that I do deserve. Uh, and so his grace and mercy has kind of defined my testimony. And I'll just, you know, I'm just going to kind of run through my life in a nutshell. You know, I know my parents' prayers. We moved to Nebraska from Colorado, of all places. Yeah. Yeah. Super Bowls, baby. Uh, but anyways, uh, moved to Nebraska. And I know, I know one of their prayers as, we, as I was going into high school was to surround me with a group of like-minded people. I was too dumb at the time to, to make that a prayer of my own. Uh, but high schoolers, the ones that are here today, I cannot speak loudly enough to you become who you hang around. And I don't know if that's what Brantley was getting to up there, but I, who you be, who you will become who you surround yourself with. I only had four or five friends in high school, and I'm good with that. Because uh, there was a lot, and don't get me wrong, we made stupid, bonehead teenage mistakes, and, and I, I did things that I regret, so I'm not telling you that, but... For the most part, I lived in God's grace and mercy through my entire high school career, you know. And then the college decision. I was blessed enough to, to have some choices, uh, some, an opportunity to uh, 60 pounds ago to play college football. And so I had some, some opportunities. And, and, you know, it's funny how God speaks to you scripturally. He, he talks to you through scripture, but he also talks to you experientially and, and, and through the the things that you go through every day and just the things that fell into place as Southwest Baptist University in this armpit called Bolivar uh, is where he led me to, to go. Yeah, I got some Bearcats in the room. But, uh, you know, that, that decision right there kind of catapulted the rest of my life. Uh, it's where I met my wife, Shannon. Um, there's absolutely zero doubt, zero doubt, uh, that that's who I was supposed to end up with. Um, didn't know it at the time. She was just this girl that was smarter than me, looked pretty good in her running outfit in the cafeteria. And uh, next thing you know, we're, we're getting married our junior year of college, which people like to poke fun at, but hey, I'd do it all over again if I could. Uh, but you know, one thing we did, and this goes back to every major decision in my life, is as soon as we set our vows on that stage, we turned around and we got on our knees and gave our marriage to Christ. I may not be a smart man, sound like Forrest Gump up here, but I, I do know that there are situations that are bigger than me. Uh, marriage, you know, you guys know the statistics, and they're worse in the, in, the, in the church, which is super embarrassing, but I knew that was bigger than me. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it on my own. I mean, I screw up a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, let alone an entire marriage. And so we gave that to him, and, and again, it, it, I'm not a perfect husband, far from it, and our marriage is not perfect. It's not without strife, but... Uh, there's no question in my mind that we're going to, in March, we're going to hit 15 years. And there's no, no doubt in my mind that's because we gave that to him um, from the get-go. Yeah, it's worth clapping. Um, a career. You know, that's a big decision. Um, for a year and a half in college, I kind of toyed around with the medical field thing and actually was in a pre-MCAT, get ready for the MCAT class and and for a year and a half, it just, I don't know, it didn't feel right. But, you know, there's a lot of people in my family in the medical field. So I thought, well, that's probably what I, I'm supposed to do. Uh, and then I remember just an off chance, my high school football coach on a, on a spring break, I think, he said, come up to school and just hang out and we'll, we'll talk and catch up. And so I went up there for a day. 
Uh, it's funny. I, I wrestle with this on my own for a year and a half, and it takes God, after I give it to him, you know, God, what am I supposed to do? It takes him a day and a half to show me. You're supposed to be a teacher and a coach. That's what I've called you to do. Um, so after a day and a half of hanging with him, I was like, all right, change my major. And again, I, I'm far from a perfect teacher. You can ask any of my chemistry students that. Uh, I'm far from a perfect coach. Uh, but the amount of blessing that has come out of my career, a, a non-lucrative career that's, that's full of headaches daily, the amount of joy I get from that, guys, I, I, I'm never in seven or eight minutes going to be able to, to tell you the amount of joy I get out of that. And, and again, that's because I gave it to God. Uh, kids, kids, another big one. Uh, we were the couple, and my buddy Rob always makes fun of me for this, we were the, we were the couple who never going to have kids. Never say never. Uh, you know, the moment we quit trying to not have kids, uh, Anna came along. Uh, and, the, you know, we're two scared, idiot, young parents. We didn't know what we were doing. So what did we do? Uh, and this is no lie. She said, she came out with a little pee stick and said, I'm pregnant. And I said, oh, what? I said, I'm pregnant. And we got down right next to the bed on her knees. And we're like, God, we have no clue how to not screw this kid up. And so right there on our knees, again, in the bedroom, gave our daughter to Christ. We did the whole thing a year and a half later up here where we did the baby blessing and, hey, look, you know, like a fish, see what we got. Uh, but Anna was given to Christ, and, and Ames, too, was given to Christ long before that. We just said, God, show us how to not jack this up. It's too big. It's too big. Uh, and just moving on, uh, you know, real quickly, Ames, those of you who know us, you know we adopted Ames almost a year ago, July, July 4th. Uh, that story in and of itself is a testimony that, that I don't have time to get into. But those of you that do know, the way Ames came into our life was supernatural. It was divine. It, it had nothing. It was not coincidental at all. Um, and you should seek my wife out because she's better at telling the story. Uh, and just ask her about that. That is an unbelievable story. But again, you know, when we started that process, we knelt down again together and just said, God, you've asked us to adopt. <laughs> and not only did that, he asked us to adopt a boy, so our window of potential kids went like this, from Kansas City, from a Christian organization. And so our adoption window ended up being like that. And, the, and just how Ames felt, fell into that little teeny tiny piece is, is supernatural. And again, it's not me. I, it's too big. We couldn't have done that. Um, and, you know, currently, it's funny how our, how our testimonies evolve. You know, I'm up here talking about being a teacher and a coach. Uh, this fall, I'm out there on the football field, and for the first time in, in 25 years, I had no joy. And I was like, what is going on here? I mean, we're losing, but that, that's, that's happened before. I don't know what's going on. And every day I'd get out there, and it was just like I was just beating my head against the wall. And so, again, in any huge situation, I'm bright enough to realize I, I need to get on my knees and pray about this. And I kid you not, the next day, he started showing me some things of, hey, you're called to be a husband to Shannon and a father to your kids first. And you're not doing very good at that right now. So I'm going to take this away for right now. I want you to step away right now. Um, and the things he's provided as I step away from high school football, and that's scary. It's scary, guys. For, for, for over a decade, that's been my ministry. That's been the heart of my ministry. And there's other coaches in this room who know what I'm talking about. I mean, those players are your ministry. But over the last few weeks, what's God showing me is, hey, there's – there's 1,400 students that walk the halls of Blue Springs South every day that don't play football. What about them? That's ministry right there. 
And so just the way this has evolved, and again, guys, I don't want to leave you with the wrong impression. I, this is nothing that I have done. Uh, that's my after story. But like the song we just sang, he's a good, good father. That's who he is. But more importantly, my testimony, my identity, who I am, is I'm loved by him. And when I get on my knees, and that's a humbling pose and a humbling posture, I used to not do it at all until he started showing me how powerful it is. When you get on your knees and you give something to him, He's a good, good father, and he's got, he's got your back. And so that's my testimony to you. You know, I, I don't have any huge comeback, redemptive story, but my life has just been this after story of God's provision. He will, he will guard your life. He'll guard the things that are most important to you in your life if you're willing to truly just open your hands and say, here, take this. I'm scared to death of this. I don't know what to do with this. Take it. Um, and so that's kind of my, my life story. My life verse has kind of become Psalm 121 where it says, you know, where do, where do I look? I, I, I look my eyes up to the mountains. Where's my hope come from? My hope comes from the Lord, the creator of the heavens and earth. Uh, that's who I choose to, to take my big life-altering decisions with. Um, and, and it's like playing with house money. It hasn't let me down yet, so I don't know why I wouldn't go ahead and make that bet and put my bet and my gamble with him. So... Um, Thanks for hearing my story. Appreciate it. Thank you. Good job. It's great to hear stories. It's great to hear stories of what God's doing and what God's, how God's moving. And we've heard all kinds of stories, right? We've heard uh, crazy stories, as Dan was talking about earlier, of God redeeming people literally under a bridge, or Dan's story of just... God's provision and putting p- godly people in place time after time after time in his life that points him to Jesus, right? Everybody has a, their own story, and it can be from one end to the other, but we're all a part of it. And today we're going to look at kind of a group of people's story, and we're going to kind of wrap up one of the stories we looked at last week. Last week we looked at three different stories, and one of them was in Acts chapter 3, and we're going to start in Acts chapter 4, but I'm going to recap chapter 3. Peter and John, who were followers of Jesus, were heading into the temple, and this is after Jesus has died, after Jesus has been resurrected, after he's ascended back to heaven. And Peter and John are heading into a temple at the time of prayer, and there's a, a crippled guy, a lame guy, a guy who's on the ground. Somebody's placed him there to beg for money or food. And they're walking in, and the guy turns to them and says, hey, do you have anything? Do you have anything for me? And Peter says, hey, look at me. I don't have any money, sorry, but what I do have, I give to you. And he reaches out his right hand and he lifts this guy up, this guy who couldn't walk, this guy whose ankles were broken, they didn't work from birth or whatever, and he lifts him up and this man all of a sudden could walk again. All of a sudden, this man's life was completely different. And Peter goes on to tell the crowd of people, it's not because I'm special. It's not because I'm Peter. Look how great I am. What he says is, my, I, I don't have anything special about me. What I do have is Jesus. And what I do know is that Jesus died so that we could live. And he lives today. He resurrected. He came back from the dead. And he lives today to have a relationship with you so that your life can be different. And he tells the crowd this. And everybody's amazed, Right? And it's a cool story of just following, following what God's asked us to do. God asked him, hey, just reach out your right hand. And amazing things happened because of that, right? 
And so starting in chapter 4, we're going to move super fast. And we're going to read this whole chapter. So I'm going to get tongue-tied, I'm sure. But here we go. Starting in chapter 4, verse 1, it says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So Peter and John are still talking to the people and kind of the, the religious police or the, the big religious leaders of the time come up to them while they were still speaking. And the religious people, verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because, of the, because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000 people. So Peter and John are speaking to the crowd, telling them, hey, it's not, a, it's not me, it's about Jesus. And the religious leaders of the time come and are like, whoa, you can't, you can't speak in the Jewish temple about this Jesus guy. And they arrest him. And they put him in jail overnight. So life got real hard real quick for Peter and John. Right? They followed what God asked them to do. And life got real hard real quick. A lot of times in our lives, when we follow what God has asked us to do, it seems like Satan starts to kind of mess with us a little bit, right? Because we've said yes to God and Satan wants to stop that however he can. And so he starts to mess with us a little bit. But the cool thing is verse 4. There's a big but, right? B-U-T. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men grew to about 5,000. God didn't stop working when they got arrested. Their words changed lives because God moved in them in that day, right? I don't know about you guys, but my wife and I, over the past, I don't know, two months, our, our world of, you know, we're, we were already pretty deep in the church world, right? And we got real deep in the church world real quick, just with the amount of time, the energy that we have, and everything else. And it seems like everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, you're not in a, the deep end of the pool. You're in the middle of the ocean, and you don't know where to swim. Does that make sense? Two and a half weeks ago, three weeks ago, um, our daughter got pneumonia and went to the hospital. And, uh, and right before that, I got sick, and I ended up getting pneumonia too. And I'm still recovering from that. And, and life got real hard real quick. For us and we were still doing the work that God's called us to and it seemed real hard but God was still working we can still look out and say no you know what it was worth it it was worth it because we saw God do this in that time it was worth it because God moved in this person's life right when God asks us to do something and we say yes to him it can get hard but God's gonna keep working does that make sense to everybody? Give me head nods. Yes? Okay, cool. Let's move on. Verse 5. The next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them to question them. And they asked Peter and John this question, by what power or what name do you do this? Right? So they said, hey, what are you doing? Peter, John, what are you doing? 
Whose name or whose power do you do this? And then verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you were crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When it gets hard and it gets easy to quit, Peter could have just been like, you know what, guys, what do you want me to say? I'm going to say it, and then I'm just going to move on. You guys are going to release me, and I'll stop talking about Jesus. But instead, he doubles down, right? He's like, you guys need to hear this. It's not me, it's Jesus, right? Verse 12 Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind which must, by which we must be saved. So Peter and John take their story of meeting Jesus, walking with him, seeing him die, seeing him resurrected, and changing their lives, and they put that story out in front of their own story. Our after story has to be in front of ourselves. Our story of how Jesus Christ saves us has to be out front. Because when it's out front, it draws people to Christ. Because me on myself, I'm not a good looking man. And Dan said 60 pounds ago, he got to go play college football. Try 120 pounds ago, I graduated high school. Um, I'm not a good looking dude. I'm not overly compelling. I got lucky that a woman liked me enough to say yes to marry me, right? I can't draw people to Jesus. Only Jesus can draw people to Jesus. And so our after stories have to be out in front of ourselves. And that's what Peter and John do here. They double down. It's not me, it's Jesus, right? Verse 14 Or, hang on, verse 13, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. These religious rulers recognized the courage and recognized that they were just normal dudes, just normal guys. They hadn't been to seminary. They hadn't been to Bible college. They hadn't been to college. They were fishermen. They were just guys. But what's it say? It says that they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. It should be obvious that we've met Jesus. It should be obvious that we have a relationship with him. Our after stories have to be out in front. Verse 14, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there was with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. So they got together, religious leaders got together. What are, what are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we can't deny it. 
But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to no longer speak, to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So they got together and said, we're just going to tell them, stop talking about Jesus, right? Just stop talking about Jesus. These guys who kind of have some power, who kind of have some, uh, some force behind them say, we're just going to tell them not to talk about Jesus. And then they called them in again in verse 18 and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then, but, again, a great but, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go, for they could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So Peter and John say, as for us, we're going to keep talking about him because we can't stop talking about this amazing God that we know. Let's just keep chugging on. Verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So upon their release, Peter and John went back to the other followers of Christ and said, hey, this is what's happening right now. Life got hard real quick for us. And instead of going, oh, that's, man, that re- that's hard. No, they got together and they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate made to get, met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When it gets hard, when life gets hard for, for us because we've said yes to Jesus, as a group of people who have all said yes to Jesus collectively, we should come together and in prayer lift each other up. And in prayer, ask God for even more boldness. Ask God for even more healing. Ask God for even more miraculous things to happen in our midst. Because our after story is bigger than our before story. And we know what God has done already. So we want to be a part of that. They come together in prayer. And they do three things. They come together in prayer and in worship and in community. In worship, they recognize the beginning of their prayer. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They're just declaring how amazing God is. And then they go about asking God for really specific things. In prayer together, consider their threats and enable your servants your, 
to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they ask God for these things, and they ask them knowing that God is there with them. And it says this in verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God boldly. When we say yes to God and life gets hard and we come together as a family and say, God, this is tough. The thing you've asked us to do is hard, but we want to do even more. God will shake the place we're in. As I read through commentaries on that specific verse, like multiple commentaries called it an earthquake-like event. Right? An earthquake-like event. It wasn't like they were just really pumped up, like at a football game. Like, or uh, I love going to Royals games, and it says, like, get loud, and everybody just gets loud because the screen says to do it, right? That's not what it was like. It wasn't like they had a jumbotron in front of them getting them pumped up. But it was a real physical thing that shook the place they were at. When I think of earthquakes, I always think of the World Series, 1989, right? I was young. I was watching it with my dad. I think it was Al Michaels. I watched it this morning. I was trying to recognize the voices. And he just says, we're we're having an earthquake. And then the screen goes black, right? And then we see the after pictures of that earthquake. And if you guys remember those pictures, roads were broken. Things were devastated. When, When God shakes us, our lives look different. There's going to be some uncomfortableness there. It's going to be weird, right? We might not be able to take the direct route that we took before to get things done because that road's no longer there for us. When God shakes us, things are going to look different in our lives. And so is God shaking us today? Are we praying for boldness? Are we praying for God to move in a big way in this place? As they come together in prayer and in worship and then in community, it says this, moving on in verse 32, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the possessions were their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And from time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. God works in community. And God works when we're unified. God works when we're all on the same page. Life has gotten hard for all of us at times. And God works when it's tough in community. And so my prayer for us as I was preparing for this, this kind of recap of this whole idea of a before and after was that we would put our after stories out in front in such a way that God uses them for his glory. And when those, the way that he's using them gets hard for us, we would rally together as a community of believers and lift up 
those stories and lift up those people and point them in a direction where they can live out what God's called them to do. You see, too many times when stuff gets hard for people, we just kind of go, oh, man, I'm sorry. And that's it. But here, they came together in prayer and asked for boldness and asked for God to move in a big way. So that's my prayer for us today as a church. As we wrap up this idea of before and after, is that our after story is in front of us. And our before story is just a way for us to move to the after story. As we're telling people our stories, we can say, hey, I was like this, but you know what? Jesus. Hey, my life looked like this, but you know what? Jesus. Jesus.